Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our reading this morning comes from the beginning of the Gospel of John, just a couple of short verses that capture the greatest mystery of our faith. Before we read, let us pray. So, Holy God, in your word, in our own bodies, reveal yourself to us that we might hear what you have in mind for us this day. Amen. We read, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of, as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me from his fullness. We have all received grace upon grace. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our Lord shall stand forever. Amen. So my baby will be 14 months old this week. He has spent the past couple months of his life attempting to perfect the art of walking. Witnessing this child learn to become human has been an extraordinary thing. The amount of effort required to walk is really something. He has to first get his chubby feet flat on the floor. floor. He puts his hands on the floor in front of them and pushes his bottom up into the air. He usually waits there a minute feeling the sensation of weight on his legs. But then slowly his knees bend, his head comes up, he pushes from a squat into standing. That alone took weeks. And then to move one foot in front of the other, all while keeping his head that's just a little bit bigger than the rest of him upright. He's not always successful. He wears a little crown of bruises around his head, marking just how difficult this is. I don't know what the record is for holding your breath, but I am pretty sure I have broken it watching him do this. And then, just like that, he's walking around the house. He's climbing onto the furniture, chasing the dogs. A friend recently said, It's like they have to learn the whole world with their whole bodies. And it's true. Our learning begins as a full-body experience. Witnessing my child learn how to be human has been the greatest learning experience of my life, and it has caused me to wonder about so many things. 
I wonder about the mysteries my child knows using his body this way, mysteries I've long forgotten. I wonder what we lose as our exploration of the world moves more into our heads. And I wonder about this faith, about how it is that God chose this precarious flesh-dwelling experience. This is the greatest mystery of our faith. The Gospel of John points to it most clearly. John is a little more poetry than history, and so John begins the story of Jesus' life by telling us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The message translation of this says, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It gets a little closer to the original Greek, which says something like, it pitched a tent among us. These are some of the most extraordinary words in Scripture. John doesn't bother with Mary and Joseph, the angels and shepherds. Instead, he pulls the curtain back, takes us to the very beginning, so that we can see what's really going on here. God chose to be born as human, in previous eras, there were temples and priests and sacrifices required as go-betweens between us and God. But here, God does something brand new. God comes close. Unless we forget that God is God, this is not how God had to do this. God spoke through prophets and appeared as smoke and fire and voice in the sky. God could have entered into the story in any number of ways. But here, John claims, and we believe, that God chose to be born of a woman, chose to ask Mary's permission to take up residence in her womb, chose to experience for himself the chubby feet and wobbly knee phase, wore his own crown of bruises around his little head, caused Mary to hold her breath and Joseph to saw all the corners off the furniture. God chose the whole of it and was born into this fleshy existence that we might never need priest or offering or temple to be near the holy again. The theological word we came up with for this is incarnation. It means God embodied, God made flesh. This word has been around since the first council of Nicaea in the year 325. It was one of the first things we fought about as Christians. Just who was this Jesus? Half human, half God? The council of Chalcedon some 200 years later set out to debate just this. They refined earlier decisions. Christ was fully God, fully human, homoousia, two substances coexisting together. Entire lives were spent debating this. It can feel abstract to us now, but questions about just how it is that God dwelled in human skin, we've been wondering this way for a long time because it has implications for how we live. Those early church councils knew incarnation mattered. It still matters. 
And we are living in days when the consequences of not recognizing that the holy dwells in flesh is putting all of our bodies at risk. Those early church councils knew this mattered, and so they argued a lot, and they wrote a lot. And they came to the conclusions that have been the basis of our theology. I believe those early councils did faithful work. And I believe that faith was not their only motivating factor. These were gatherings of educated men who had been summoned together by the Roman emperor, asserting power, control, defining God, asserting a singular way of thinking. There was much to be gained here. They knew how much the incarnation mattered. The Protestant Reformation later freed us from control of the Roman Catholic Church. The identity of Christ meant that we each had access to God on our own. We appealed to the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. No help was required from the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. The Reformers declared that no one would tell us how to think except except maybe them. And so they wrote volumes and they shaped Protestantism with a skepticism of anything artistic. We would not be influenced by anything, including icon or artist or music a little too exuberant. And then Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. And the Enlightenment solidified the idea that rational thought is the highest expression of human existence. Rational thinking was elevated to an almost sacred endeavor Objectivity was the goal and was defined by the men who set it. Descartes and others enshrined the philosophy of dualism, the idea that separates the mind and the body. Thinking was most important. The mind and the soul, they were one in the same, and the body was temporary, expendable. When this philosophy joined hands with Christianity in the new world, It had no problem destroying indigenous bodies, enslaving black bodies. If anyone didn't reach the criteria of sacred thinking like the powerful men did, they had no value. We could pray for their souls while destroying their bodies. The incarnation matters. Our religious history is filled with a variety of men, with a variety of motives, telling us how to think about God. And many of them were faithful, and many of them were right. But the mystery has always been bigger than our thinking. God did not come to us as an idea, but as a body. And when we elevate our ideas over our bodies, There are consequences. The precarious relationship between Christianity and empire should lead any rational person to wonder why we still claim this faith at all. And yet, and yet I do. I still claim this faith because I trust the incarnation. My mom taught me the faith while she learned it herself We read the stories together, and she told me about the God she knew, the one we could talk to whenever we wanted, 
the one who would talk back with feelings in our bellies, who would tell us when something was right or wrong or when to pay attention. I persist in claiming this faith because I have felt the breath of the Spirit raise the hair on my arms when I am meant to notice. I have understood God's God's calling through the sensation of rage that begins in my stomach and summons me to speak. And I have felt the embrace of a God who has been pointed to by flawed humans throughout all of history, but cannot be contained by any of it. If God was merely an idea, I would have abandoned it long ago. But I know a God who is revealed in human flesh because I have felt her in mine. Perhaps that is irrational of me, but perhaps rationality isn't what our forefathers taught us it was. There are other ways of knowing. There are other ways of being And we are living in days when we need to pay attention to those two. Science has now caught up to this. Neurobiologists have researched what they call somatic markers. They've actually found that the feelings we experience as bodily sensations help us to process information and make decisions. In fact, we can't have rational thinking and decision-making without our intuitive bodies, without our gut reactions. Rational thought, it turns out, is only possible with a partnership between our cognition and emotion. At the same time, trauma research has taught us that the body remembers. Trauma recovery often involves movement because for the body to unlearn and relearn, it requires more than just our minds. Students of spiritual practices know all of this body research by another name. The contemplative masters for thousands of years have taught us to listen to our bodies. They know that the Holy speaks to us here. Descartes was wrong. My mom was right. Our bodies are not subject to our minds, and the opposite is often true. We are living in days when we must reclaim the incarnation, reclaim the sacredness of our own bodies and the bodies of everyone else, because too much is at stake here. Children's bodies are destroyed in their schools as we prioritize our ideas of gun rights. The bodies of those who live in the path of fire and flood are constantly in jeopardy. The bodies of our queer youth are at risk. Immigrant bodies are rendered invisible, disposable. Black bodies are destroyed over and over and over again, 60 shots, no trial, and we debate the merits of a movement declaring over and over and over again that black lives don't matter. And now, now in nine days, we will be the first state in the nation to vote on the value of bodies of those capable of pregnancy. We will vote on whether Christian fundamentalism has been successful in disassociating us from our bodies, making us believe that our ability to carry life is sacred, but our ability to determine the path of our own lives is not. When we elevate ideas over bodies, there are consequences. 
God knew this, and this is why God did not enter into human history as an idea. God came embodied flesh and bones so that we have access to the divine and the divine has access to us. This matters. It matters because if I know that God is revealed to me in my body, then I have to trust that God is revealed to you in yours. If God sought to liberate us from anyone else having control over us, I have to believe that God continues to liberate us from any power that seeks our control. If God shows up in bodies, then any restriction on a person's ability to make their own decisions about their own body is antithetical to the gospel. It flies in the face of our God, who trusted Mary with his whole body, wobbly knees, bruised head, and all. And I know that some of you don't want us to talk about this. I know we are not all on the same page here. And I think that that is okay. I want us to be able to disagree because the mystery of God is bigger than any of us. But I need us to remember that not all ideas are equal. History reminds us that some ideas are dangerous. And when an idea is born in our religion and enforced by the empire, It is always the dangerous kind. History has always been cluttered with those who want to define God and control the people. They cause a lot of damage. They vandalize church signs in an attempt to remove women from our signs and our story. Bodies are destroyed by them, and so we must be vigilant against them. But I also need us to remember that they don't win. God's love was born in human flesh, a mystery too big to ever be contained, a mystery that continues to be revealed through each and every one of us. So trust. Trust that that God indwells you too. Trust that you are sacred, your entire being, that you are loved, no matter the choices you have made, no matter what has been done to you, no matter what those in power say about you. Trust that God's love is calling all of us to a better way of being, and that despite the death throes of old ways happening around us, we will get there. New signs are easily made. New bodies are discovering their own liberation. And when you know it in your bones, it can't be taken away. And every day, new babies are learning to walk and being raised by those who will teach them to march to ensure that liberation is fought for in this and every generation. For the word became flesh And from God's fullness, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. And there is enough for all of us. Let us pray. Embodied God, dwell in us. 
that we might know we were made for more. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.